I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the 8-9 Combo. This is the 8-9 Combo. I am Brett McKay, and it's great to be back for another great rugby chat with my co-host from literally the other side of the world. He's on the ground in Edinburgh, on the ground at St. Andrew's Golf Club, if you don't mind, the old course, Harry Jones. How much of this year's, next year's, and the following year's budget have you spent already? How's it, Brett? Yeah, we are backfilling from 2026 at this point. Um, your pension has been raided. Uh, the accountants told me it's so fine as we can do some retro uh, retro yeah. auditing, you know, checks and balances. I am uh, on the old course. I actually scouted out several bunkers to do the pod from, but the wind was a little <laughs> bit rough, as well as the dogs kept sniffing around. So I'm getting kicked out of there, and then now I'm in the actual library overlooking the uh, the road hole. And so if you hear a clattering, it's a ball hitting us or the repairs going on. Now, I've had a lovely time here in Edinburgh uh, area. As you might know, um, I was able to meet sort of Nigel Owens, who I was uh, a comedy guest at uh, a wonderful event for Tiny Changes and Lord's Taverners, where they use cricket for uh, helping yes. disadvantaged youth. Uh, um, yep. Tiny Changes is a constellation of charities. Uh, and we I've also used 2027's budget to bid in an auction. I might have raised my hand or scratched my ear or, or uh, touched my nose, but we won something extremely exorbitant, but also for a good cause, which balanced out all the sin that I did on the other nights in Edinburgh, uh, which I wrote about in family-friendly fashion in The Roar today, drops. Um, but no, I, I learned to speak Shetland. Uh, I met some beautiful Vikings. Um, I just had the most amazing time going from the top of Edinburgh, the very top, and then going all the way to the bottom and then enjoyed <laughs> Murrayfield very, very much. So, um, but, you know, like the Scot Scotland is a, is a country of skeptics, you know, David Hume and such, and they're very metaphysical. And, you know, the, the try that was disallowed against the French was really typical of Scotland's plight. Um, but in, in Murrayfield, they actually have a big screen and they will tell you the reason for each whistle. And it's, mm -hmm. it's real time almost. So someone's actually writes typing in something and they, and they have like reason for scrum. And then it'll say um, unsuccessful mall, which I think is quite interesting because I mean, it's wow. uh, almost philosophical and uh, <laughs> like a tautology or something. <laughs> and I'm going, what do you mean? <laughs> the mall? So I said it was a choke tackle. Yeah. And, but they want to say choke tackle because it's also kind of proper <laughs> in a strange way. So um, no. And so I, 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 that, on that theme, I was wondering about things and I started thinking about, you know, what happened to that, that Englishman? So, you know, the blitz defense of England was disappearing. So I thought, what happened mm. to other things that are English? And one thing was, remember that kid Charlie, that little boy Charlie, baby Charlie, that was in that viral video when we didn't know about viral, the word viral, and then there was, suddenly it was 130 million, uh, 200. And that Charlie, Charlie that really Charlie. hurts, yes. Charlie. Yes. That really, really hurts, Charlie. Yeah. I decided to find that kid, Charlie, and what he did as, as a grown-up. And that was the origin of this episode today. 
I don't know what that means. And if anyone wants to be honest, <laughs> I'll, I'll just be here in my office in Canberra like like always. Um, it, it is episode three of the 8-9 Combo Rugby Podcast. Thanks for finding us under our new banner. Um, and it's all thanks to the Sports Social Podcast Network. You may well have listened to us occasionally on on the Raw Rugby Podcast over the last few years. So we say welcome back. And if you are completely new to the pod, we say welcome. And we obviously hope you stick around. We're on all the pod platforms, Spotify, Apple, all the others as well. Um, we're on YouTube and their music varieties. We're on the last days of Google Podcasts, but also Amazon, Audible, iHeart, all of those, wherever you find your podcasts. So please do like, follow, subscribe, rate and review and share. It all helps. It really all helps. Uh, cheers and jeers. Well, I've got a jeers for you, Harry, for spending all our budget straight away. We <laughs> start the pod the same way we have for a while, but just with a new name this year. Cheers and jeers. So what is your cheers or have we had it already? Uh, three quick cheers, uh, Jack Dempsey and Ben White. Superior eight nine combination. Yeah. Uh, Jack Crowley and Jameson Gibson Park eight nine. I'm all, I'm looking at eight nines across the park now. Um, a cheer for ben, Edinburgh. Ben Earl and Danny Care weren't terrible. No, but Ben Earl's a little bit. Well, we'll get into this, our guest, but the Ben Earl's a little bit small to me as an eight at the international yeah. level. Like elusive, but not even that really. You know, quick enough to stop Duhan van der Merwe in the in the flats. Not big enough to just mow over people in the tights. Not I don't know about that, but mm-hmm. yeah, true. Uh, a cheer for Edinburgh itself. That stone masterpiece, chiselled humour, cutting wit, uh, very sequential booze. Uh, I love this this town, Edinburgh. Uh, and then my final cheers from Murrayfield. Duhan van der Merwe having scored his third try uh, and is carded. And at that very moment in time, simultaneously, is awarded the man of the match. He doesn't know that because he's not looking at the big screen. He's doing what Duhan always does. He's disgruntled because he always thinks he should have scored six tries and the tip tackle <laughs> wasn't that bad. So he's coming off and the entire stadium of the West Side is standing, rising and giving him a standing ovation forever, shaking the very roots upon which mm. Murrayfield was built. And he is coming off thinking he just got carded and everyone is jumping on him. Uh unbelievable <laughs> scenes for a guy yeah. who keeps keeps doing unnecessary corner scoring flourishes by knocking yeah. over the flag for no yeah. apparent reason but any, this man is on fire any any danger he could run around the post once or twice um, did you <laughs> end up finding the answer to your question has anyone ever scored three tries and a and copy yellow card in the same game well, I'm hoping that our guest today could solve that. We will, maybe. We will put that. We'll put but I, I doubt, I seriously doubt because of the vintage it's, of cards it's and the be fact a niche, that it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult to score, yeah, Patrick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my jeers for you is also from the Six Nations and it goes to Italian referee Andrea Piatti, who around the hour mark of Ireland Wales uh, on Saturday in Dublin, he could be heard calling the replacement Irish lock, uh, whose name escapes me just temporarily, uh, back on side from Ruck. And in that very moment, triggered Australian rugby fans all over again when as clear as anything over the mic, he says, okay, we play, we play. (laughs) Immediately invoking memories of Matthew (laughs) Renal and the now infamous Melbourne Bledisloe of 2022. And so to you, Andrea, I say, boo. The trauma is dripping out of your voice. (laughs) And what about that that Italian fiasco where um, the French were charging down a penalty twice uh, and had a water carrier right in line? I mean, retake 10 meters up? I don't know. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's get on to 
eventually this week's guest, someone who we've not spoken to before but have enjoyed his columns and his analysis for years. And with just two rounds of the Six Nations left, he is bound to provide some more wonderful insight. He joins us next. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We've had another really interesting weekend of Six Nations rugby played and some of the very best coverage of it you'll find authored by this week's guest, a former first-class cricketer for a brief period before moving into sports journalism about 15 years ago. He's been a senior rugby writer for The Telegraph since 2017. His play-by-play analyses of key moments in important games are always on point. Please welcome to the 8-9 combo, Charlie Morgan. Hi, thanks very much. That um, first-class cricket reference is a bit of a, a bit of a burgle. Our, our, our university games were classed as first-class, but it got me. A <laughs> it got me. A, it got me a Wikipedia page with a height of six foot two. So somebody. And really I was going to that. reference this. I, I, I did really, find. A, really I found a reference. Up. Yeah, and and you the quote. I love the quote where you said referencing that Wikipedia page where you said it contained a vast overestimation of. Me. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Massively. I'll take it though. I'll take it though. Absolutely. And am I right, am I right, Charlie? Are you actually the Charlie, the little boy Charlie, grown up now that was in the video where, where you were what you were really hurting your brother? Yeah. Who I am really is the Charlie that was um, that had Charlie bit my finger, whispered into my ear at university on thousands and thousands of occasions. I'm not the not the main guy. I <laughs> was terrorized because of that video. And now I, actually, I know Brett. Brett, you have, if you're not not familiar with it, Brett, but the. Um, it's now taken on new meaning for me because my two boys are three and eight months. So they're right in the zone for a reason. Re- <laughs> re- yes, they are. We'll yeah, see. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you straight away, you're going to be in trouble with at home. You know, one of the kids, what's, what's wrong? Charlie bit my finger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Charlie, uh, tell us, tell us a little bit. You, before the, before the Calcutta cup, you wrote an article. It sort of seems premonitional now, which is Scotland has become England's bogey team. And you, but you analyzed yeah. why, and this is a feature of your articles for those who don't, and they should, they must, you're a must read, essential read for the how and the why. Uh, and you broke down exactly why you thought Scotland had become that. And then now you've got an article that just dropped talking about how that did um kind of talk yeah. us through why you think Correct. scotland's such a terrible uh matchup right now for england I, th- I think it's well now in this game what was crystallized was how settled they are versus england but that yes. has loads of different strands to it strands to it and england, while england are sort of um fretting about their they're in such a vice because they're fretting about their lack of cohesion but they also don't want to complain too much about the state that eddie jones left them in so they're also yeah. sort of they're just, they're just sort of throwing their hands up and going you know, this is this is what happens when there isn't continuity in selection, and Scotland is showing what happens when there is continuity in selection, and then there is a balance to not just across a backline, not even just across a pack. I, I glad you mentioned Jack Dempsey because I thought Scotland's entire back five was awesome, just a really mm. complimentary mm. blend of um, blend of players and assets. And but even their twenty three, you know, guys. So Elliot Miller Mills, their their replacement tight head, is Northampton's third tight head, I think. Yeah, um, right. But, but but what Gregor Townsend has 
created is just this this clarity um and he is doing what steve borthwick is striving to do which is make the most out of individual player talents within this um within the side and that has just been apparent throughout this now uh, sorry seven six seven year stretch of just his dominance over england which started in 2018 with quite uh maybe maybe not they feel like quite similar games you know someone like duan van der merver and hugh jones are carving through england their break they're just a bit more crafty around the breakdown they um are more um they're more assured around set piece than maybe mm. they get credit for um and all of that just it just kind of see it's like a really horrible horrible blend for england while england are themselves kind of in this neurotic kind of um it's, it's coincided with this kind of neurotic um england are grasping for what they are and and people are yeah. telling them that that they should go back to a power game and they're going but we we don't really have any powerful players anymore and <laughs> so it's, it's 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 been a really really interesting kind of just cross of of trajectories the, the best no, thing you can say about Scotland at the moment is that you don't really notice players until they're doing something that's just absolutely brilliant. And and you mentioned Jack Dempsey. I reckon I didn't notice him properly until about an hour into the game. And then I realised he'd been everywhere, of course, but he just mm -hmm. did something in that moment and his, his name stuck out in commentary. And Sione Tuukulotu is the same. He made that little line break about half an hour, maybe 25 minutes in, and... I hadn't seen much of him at that point, but again, you realise he's actually been the focal point of that Scotland attack whenever they shifted width. And he is just, for a guy who um, couldn't quite nail down a, a starting spot in Super Rugby in Melbourne, for, for a lot, and he's a Melbourne boy for all intents and purposes, and he's gone to Scotland and he is a genuinely world-class number 12 now, and he was brilliant. I, I love it when... A, a, the clarity of a team or how that however they're empowering players whether it's clarity whether it's the environment and just how that fit where they they become sort of not just when they become more than some of their individual parts but where those individuals that haven't have been slight underdogs or whatever elsewhere really shine and they're they just you know they're just they're they're, they're competing on a plane with players yeah. who, are, who are much more lauded so my what what shone through to me sort of watching um you're going oh Danny Kerr's having a bit of a tough tough day getting the ball away either from either from exits or or just when England are seeming yep. like they get a bit of momentum in face play watch it back oh yeah Grant Grant, Grant Gilchrist has counteracted is yeah. that right time to get an England player falling back towards <laughs> Danny Kerr, and then it's messy and that's exactly what I mean is just there there's a there's a collective intelligence and intuition about them which is a lot to do with a lot to do with really good coaching and makes them really fun to watch you know, it seemed like you know the dominoes falling on the counter rucks seemed well timed. The, even the charge downs that didn't work seemed to be in the heads of the English players. And I, I was I was struck by how chaos afflicted England, and they would just go hoof the ball. Whereas Scotland, a charge down happens, and they take it as oh fractured field, let's capitalize. Um, that that falls into your thesis then of the cohesive team, right? Everyone is switch on, get it to the quickest player, or get it to space. Oh, well, so, so Duan van der, I'm losing count of them now, but Duan van der Merwe's <laughs> third try um, was, was exactly that. So England's press, England lose the line out, but their press works quite nicely. They get to Russell, there's a charge down. The ball falls to Cameron Redpath, who's just come on for Sioni to Pilotti. So you're going, oh, is he going to settle into this game? No, he's 
he's danced through three, four players, 40 metres. Um, England do well to scramble, but Van der Merwe has migrated to the touchline. Finn Russell knows exactly where he's going to be, feeds the space straight away for broken field. Poor Mara Toji. I mean, he's, he's probably a podcast in himself, Mara, but he's kind of, I feel like he's, the the the, the flack he got for um, even regressing closer to the mean was a bit unwarranted. He was still playing really yeah, well. Yeah, he was. He still had, still had moments on um, on Saturday, and yet it's, well, Mara's not the same, been him. Um, but anyway, so he's he's the edge defender, which is kind of, yeah, England are in strife, and it's... it's uh, <laughs> right, it's yeah, not a good matchup. Uh, no. And, and Duan sticks on the touchline or over the touchline for much of the game. If you're at, you know, they're live, you can see more of the back three. Uh, and I was struck with how clear Scotland was on their back three, where you stand, what you do in a scenario, whereas George Ford was turning around, giving directions to Furbank, uh, to Daly. <clears throat> Daly is very active. Um, I just kept wondering this, Charlie, and maybe it's like the, the quintessential question under the question is, does England have the personnel to do what the Felix needs. You know, the Felix requires very swivelly cutback defenders. Even my pimpy was not swivelly enough. It had to be Arnsa, Willemsa, and Colby at the end to be able to track back and run all match long without lactic acid, hips don't lie. Can Elliot Daly and George Furbank do that? They're not hip-hop dancers, you know? I'd love to I'd love to be described as swivelly just once by, by somebody. Um, yeah. um, the... It's a great question and it is at the heart of what so there's a there's probably unrest within um, among england fans now and it's and it is a hangover from eddie jones but they can't say it's a hangover from eddie jones because everybody's <laughs> tired of saying that it's a hangover from yes. eddie jones. but it's related to how this this build so and the, and the one the one sort of um thing you'll get leveled at you if you if you say if you sort of bring this up is that Steve Borthwick's had three campaigns now. They've sort of been three separate campaigns in that one was a Six Nations where he was thrust in and, and they had very little time. Yeah. Next was the, two, the, two ways to repair, yeah. Next was the World Cup, which is always seen to be, this is when England level the playing field because they finally got time together. Now, what he did during that period was beast them during the warm-up so they got no goodwill during the warm-ups. They lost to Fiji because they were knackered all the time. Then at the World Cup, what he did with his selection was go all out and experience and the players that he had available now because I think he thought, I think he knew that he had to get some goodwill with results immediately at mm. the tournament. Now, what's happened since then is you've lost a hell of a lot of caps. So Ben Young's, Johnny May, Owen Farrell, Courtney Laws. Now, maybe only those last two were going to play um, in the Six Nations, but it's a lot of IP to lose. Uh, it's still, so it's another 200-plus test caps, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it's a third new star. But nobody wants to hear it. But nobody wants to hear it. So get back no. to the question on. So get back. Get back to the question on the on the on the players and and whether the system fits them. I think eventually you'll see players in that system that fits it. And somebody, a good example of somebody that does down to a T. He looks swivelly. He looks explosive. Is uh, <laughs> Manuel Ewoboto who came on um, late on and immediately gave England a dynamism and an energy that they were lacking. I, I will note. Yeah. I will note here, though, Brett. It's a hyphenated player, and Brett has a particular <laughs> peeve about hyphenated players. Right. Yeah. <laughs> as someone, as someone who keeps a lot of spreadsheets with names in them, Charlie, yeah. I'm just telling you that hyphenated player names are not friendly for Colin. Yeah. With. Have you just got to? Have you just got to? But you got. You don't have the hyphen, do you? I imagine you just got to go capital letter in the middle of the name. Sometimes you got to go small fonts. Yeah. 
<laughs> this is the level of issue we have. Oh, I know, mate. Um, well, you know, and and it's interesting because um, I think they came out post match, and Steve Borthwick said he's going to launch a UHR, which is the unbelievably honest review. So what would it be? I mean, like, is that something he's saying that the coaching was off, the game plan was off, or is he going to be, you know, uh, strict on, you know, drop balls, turnovers, and all that? It's pretty close to a type of milk, isn't it? But then they, um, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, different sort of hate treatment, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it'll be both, it'll be both. I think he mentioned system errors and individual errors in the, and you never know, I don't, know what would be more painful because i guess sometimes you can go some somebody said to me that one way to look at that england scotland game was that england so scotland scored two tries in transition one try with um you know directly from first phase is that easy to write off because you're not making those mistakes often or when you're making those mistakes more regularly is it even mm. more worrying? and do you mm. go well there's no way we're going to make 25 handling errors in a game again or is there yeah. if you spend time on on that and you're just worried about how your defence and your set piece and your kicking game is, which is what England seem to be. We don't know how they're um, they're devoting their time in training, but it does seem like that's more of a focus for them. And maybe that's a media fault. It, be, it becomes the classic downward spiral there, doesn't it? If, if Scotland can become, and they are becoming, this team that is just, just deadly, deadly accurate from turnover they're becoming dare i say it new zealand like harry but if they become if they're this team that will just punish you on turnover then any team never mind england any team's going to go into a game against scotland going can't make mistakes can't make mistakes can't make mistakes oh crap i've made a mistake and there's a try gone and you know yeah, and was, all, all the focus in the world could be we can't make mistakes against scotland because they'll score against us and then as soon as they make one bang try because they have game breakers. Uh, yeah. You could look look on the field in England and look for the game breakers. You couldn't find one that could run away from somebody. Johnny May would be the last time I saw someone in England just take something out of nothing. Um, and so on the aerial games, Charlie, it looked like even down 14, England was box kicking. And that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I think it led to the try in a way. Um, but that was the way they were trying to get a quick ball. But then you have to have aerial artists. You have people who can go and get it. Freddie's not in, so you know. How do you see that Furbank selection? Did yeah. it backfire, or, or what do you think? I, I was excited by it before uh, before the game because I thought if it went really well and it looked like it was going to go really well, they scored a really nice first phase. Yeah, the first one. Really nice yeah. um, then it gives England the scope to add in those game breakers on the on the wing. What with Freddie Stewart at fullback, super strength under the high ball, but you do have to compromise for maybe that lack of kind of um, conviction as a playmaker elsewhere in the back line, which is why Elliot Daly is there. Now, what England have at the minute is, so we always say about this way Steve Borthwick is setting up the side, when it's bad, it's horrid. So when it, when they're yeah. box kicking and they're not winning those box kicks back, it looks awful and it, it gets booed, <laughs> as it has been. Um, as, so, as, as will happen. As as could happen, you know, yeah. uh, when they're when they're desperate to kind of engage Twickenham, that that could happen if that sort of thing is is going on. Um, the problem, the problem that they have there, I, th I think their their wingers have got better in the uh, better in the air. Freeman looks good there. Daly's looks good there. But as Harry rightly says, if they're the guys going up and winning the loose ball, who's the ball going to to make the most of those fractured situations? There isn't. Yeah. There isn't. That's where they've got to get the balance. And I think that is part of the point that I actually didn't 
get around get around to making because I was so meandering in the in the swivelly bit is that um, <laughs> it, it is that it's gonna be I think there are experienced players there like Elliot Daly to ease this game plan in and then I think eventually when others around them have experience like so one day they might have a settled center partnership for instance and then you can bring in a a, a game breaker there who suits it so I mean see, see what you think about imagine a and, and you, these you might not be familiar with all of these players, but if a a side a backline for me that had Marchant at thirteen, Fayou Bosa at fourteen, Arundel at eleven, Quirk at nine, that feels like it would really suit a, a Felix Jones um, system. But it's mm. but there's there's time off. Those players have got to stay fit. Those players have got to get yeah. to that game. So it's it's all theoretical at the minute, and that is why justifiably supporters are a bit yeah. On the other hand, it's in the last ten matches. What is only two losses, right? I mean, it's uh, it's some countries would die for this record. Um, yeah. And yeah. it's interesting I, when Rossi Rossi came on Australia. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> when Rossi first came to Western Province, when um, when Jako Johan took over the box, the attack <laughs> the attack looked flat because the um, 13, 14, 11, 15 were exhausted. Um, they are playing like cornerbacks in the NFL mostly. And then they have, you know, brief moments of runaway uh, intercept almost tries. So it, it was, they were ragged. Is that what's happening to England in a way when they finally get the ball in some kind of space, except for the first 20 minutes, they just didn't have the gas? It's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure. I know that um, they have to... It's so, it's so, it's, I don't know whether it's such a basic point that either people don't want to say it out loud or, or like just the off the ball running is people, people are just like, Oh, well, they almost like separate the running that you've got to do in defense to, and go, well, he's, uh, he's unfit. Yeah. It's like, well, think about the sequences of play. And I asked, I'm going to butcher his second name here, which is terrible, but I spoke to Umar Muniem, who is the, um, it's probably second name isn't pronounced like that, but he's the Exeter defense coach. And he coached, he reminded me, he coached with, um, Jack Nienaba at the Stormers in 2007 and he's brought that um he's brought that system into Exeter and I was saying I sort of did a piece with him last week and said how um you know how, how what does that look like in pre-season and he's just like yeah well players are fit at Exeter so so Henry, <laughs> yeah. doing all that and I think if you if you're not used to that so difficult to implement in the in the Six Nations build-up and yeah you're right you'd be absolutely you'd be absolutely gassed and you'd yeah. be like and the idea is what's what's just the, I guess the last point for me to make on this is the idea is of this blitz defence to get the ball back quickly. England are they? Do they have the jackalers to get the ball back quickly on top of it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Which is against, which is which is a problem. But against against Wales, yeah. they were bending for twenty phases, and at the end, Ben Earl sort yeah. of in his post match, he was going, "Oh yeah, me and Fordy were joking about how um, we're meant to get the ball back quickly for this defence." And I remember thinking, "Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you don't, you're going to be shattered for good." Yes. Guys running yes. shuttles in the 13 channel. But that very point is actually is, is why I'm quite sure Harry Ben Earls is playing eight to make sure I've, they have got that, that bit of extra on ball. I think that's true. Uh, just watching at the, at the actual grounds, I was watching the breakdown very closely and it looked like um, it was blunt force trauma on the English side in that Roots and, um, um, and, and Earl was smashing into rocks. I mean, really, like Underhill was was almost eyes closed, you know, just smashing into things. Mm. Richie, Darge, and Dempsey were Richie and Darge, particularly, were playing very crafty at the breakdown. I mean, picking yeah. the right side away from yeah. the ref. I Richie ran into was really good. 
Jamie Ritchie in the morning, his face was just cut up, and I said, "How was yeah. it?" He goes, "There were a lot of there were a lot of extras." So uh, <laughs> th- that was a, that was a serious breakdown yeah. clash, Charlie, and it looked like it was going England's way, and then it looked like it wasn't, and I yeah. Yeah. almost yeah. felt yeah. like in, you know we look at the midfield and everything, but that breakdown was brutal, and it the was. ref let it all go. Yeah, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't. Well, Andrew Brace is kind of renowned for that, so he's renowned yeah. for sort of giving giving defender defensive sides a bit of rope, and um, you. Yeah, you don't want to be hanging around with the ball sort of aimlessly with Andrew Brace, which might have played into that box kicking stuff at the end from England. But I thought I thought Underhill, I wouldn't have regarded him as a massively prolific jackler, but he got a couple the knee. But yep. Richie is yeah, just a, a menace. Just and large large yeah. just um that post tackle stuff where players sort of carriers are nearly at the floor and he's just he'll just mm. almost deadlift them for half a second <laughs> so annoying because that because that it's it's knackering the 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 running lines of the nines knackering the cadence of the pods and then it's just i just can imagine sort of him getting pumped at the bottom of the rut i don't know face face kind of split open and then just pissing himself at how bad england's attack england's face shape looks off the top of <laughs> yeah it's a great point last last question on on this because we've got so many other things we want to, we want to touch on it still feels to me quite incredibly and they've won you know four calcutta cups in a row they've i think yeah apart from ireland they're probably the fourth team of the six nations at the moment it still feels like scotland are being underestimated and that after what we saw on the weekend, that seems quite incredible to me. Do you, surely that can't continue to be the case. Surely, surely we're actually going to start re- recognizing that Scotland are a very, very good team right now. It's so difficult, and it's so um, what I love about the Six Nations, as uh, from the sort of point of view of somebody whose mum was born in Scotland, dad grew up in Wales, grandma's Irish, is that it really kind of plays into plays into sort of the national neuroses quite nicely so the the english at the minute should be really respectful and quite nervous of what scotland offer mm. but irish fans probably don't rate them because they nice. island island show up really well against um against scotland and have sort of bullied them and made and and have this thing where have this really funny but really ridiculous thing where they every year they go scotland keep talking talking themselves up and scotland are going we're not. We're not talking. We're <laughs> going into the game yeah. almost apologetic about not yeah. having talked ourselves up, and then they lose anyway. And then, um, and then in the first yeah. game, and then say, "See, yeah, exactly. <laughs> see, we're, we're not. We're not good." Um, no, then, um, and then Wales. So Wales, a, a scratch Wales team, go down twenty-seven nil, and then I think if you were, and it's difficult for me, I guess, but to to be really, really detached from it, you'd always think. I just always watch. I watch Scotland every year, and, and because I tend to cover England more, watch them against England mostly, and they just seem great. It seemed really well balanced, really intuitive side. And you think, yeah, why can't they? And I spoke a lot to Gregor Townsend before the World Cup and was was really he was saying, you know, we've we've had this, our theme has been ambition, 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 never go into our shells. When we're faced with a blitz defense, we're gonna keep, we're gonna keep going and try and find that, find those edges and find those seams. And then uh, South Africa did an absolute job on them in Marseille, and and Ireland, yeah, as I say, sort of bullied them. So it's tough, but it's it's so gutting. It's more gutting now that that um, what happened happened at the end of that France game. And that's the other thing you, you you get you can find yourself getting really righteous about results that would be good for the tournament when that's just rubbish. Really. <laughs> it would be it yeah. would be if 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 Scotland were kind of three from three now. 
You know, and either either way, the the result of the Calcutta Cup was going to give us the drama we needed. So round four would have been England three yeah. uh, zero versus Ireland three zero with a grudge match at Twickers, and this way around, the the tournament lives until the final weekend, assuming that Scotland doesn't stub its toe against Italy. Um, but it, you know, <laughs> Ireland it, it is Ireland's prohibitive favorites. They're twenty one point favorites against England in the round four now. Um, I, what I would say is that I think this this form of Scotland, this uh, this version of Scotland, plays well against this version of Ireland, only in the sense that the tens now you have an actual edge. You have a veteran uh, fly-off playmaker, Finn Russell, at the top of his game, and we're still waiting for that um, you know young fly-off moment uh, for Ireland. And you know it hasn't happened yet, but what if it did uh, when the pressure came on? Other thing is. Left wing against right wing, Duhan van der Merwe, you know, Matt Hansen's out. You're going to have something there to run against. Um, so on those two game breakers you have, and then you have the loose trio with Peter Armani, not at the top of his game, playing against a really informed Scottish trio. So those are the only three hopes Ireland should win. Come on. But if there is going to be an upset, I would look for it in those three. What do you think about the, the chances of Ireland stubbing their toe in round five? Um, I thought they would lose the France game and then just look really muggy in a uh, in a bar in um in a bar in Rome watching that sort of just uh, I, and then they, they would do it. they were fantastic and they I just seem to when they've the strength of their structures and their um mm-hmm. have 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 made someone like Jack Crowley he, he's he's a, he's a cl- clearly a very um talented player with a almost like a perfect degree of swagger about him so he made a couple of mistakes early on in that france game and he kept coming and he, and he looked grew into it looked more assured then ran the show against italy and didn't care that he was um, missing kicks from poles you know he was for poles yep. he was sort of um he pushed through despite that um wales got under their skin a little bit but they pulled they pulled through um I'm just wary. what I'm what I'm saying to you is I'm wary of saying Scotland have a chance just because I've thought they've had a chance before the, 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 the Murrayfield. <laughs> the, the aforementioned the, talking yourselves up. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, <laughs> the, uh, the the Scotland against Ireland at Murrayfield um, was Ireland won twenty two seven I think, but it was held up as this how adaptable are Ireland? They don't have they've got Josh van der Flyer thrown into um, throwing into lineups. They've got Keen Healy scrummaging at hooker. Yeah. You flip that round and you go, how, what a collection of brain farts it takes to lose to that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what, and that's kind of what, what Scotland did. Um, is the pressure off maybe a little bit if it's away? I'm not sure. Weird psychological things like that tend to happen in the, in the Six Nations too. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, Italy, Italy on, on sort of buoyant after, after that draw with, um, France, which they really, which they really could and should have one that's that's going to be tricky too but um yeah i hope so i hope i hope they really give it a crack and i hope they're in it in the last quarter because that even hasn't been the case um certainly in the world cup yeah that was i was i was watching that after um after an england game i think or after another potentially after one of the quarterfinals either argentina wales or uh, england fiji so could sort of scroll through twitter as that was happening and just the irish <laughs> i think having manufactured this scotland talking themselves up to then jump on the manufacturers <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's See? genius to, to make a fan base do something they're not doing and say why are you yeah. doing that <laughs> yeah Charlie, one of the topics we wanted we wanted to talk on, and we've doing doing the podcast as we have been doing for uh, 
well, th- this is our third year, new new handle this year, but the the great chats that we've been able to have with people, you just get insights into their preparations, and, and everyone keeps talking about us about a chat the chats that we had with Angus Gardner last year, and just learning about things that you just don't realise that they go through, and so we're fascinated to hit, to hear your about your writing process, and, and so what does the days leading into Scotland, England, Murrayfield look like? How do you operate on game day? What's you know are you are you are you punching out words on a keyboard during the game? Are you sitting there scrubbing notes? Like like how do you operate? I'm, I'm fascinated to hear this. So I'll start with a game because I guess that's fresher in my mind. I can tell you it was frantic at Murrayfield because the Wi-Fi is not very good, not very reliable. So what I was on, so you can't get um, you can't get your laptop to work to have the game um, on as well. So you're reliant on what's going on uh, just um, to first watch on the pitch, and then you're sort of spinning around for big moments or the big big um, big screen replays because mm. the immediate pressure for me, if I just take my I guess my day as an example, I was file scotland player ratings on the whistle which are a crock of shit because you need to watch the game about two or three times <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. Yeah, yeah none of um i think i caught a couple of grant kill chris sort of counter ruck and was like that was enough to you know say that he was say that <laughs> yeah. he was really yeah. going maybe he was sort of more and actually i thought for the first watch thought dodge was more effective than dempsey and had to sort of switch them around later and then so for that that was because the game was uh 445 kickoff and it meant that also our first edition was going at sort of eight i think so the player ratings would yeah. would be what i got what got in the first edition and then the second edition which goes at 10 30 um i was commissioned to do a an analysis piece on um, and, and it's a back and forth thing. You're, you're talking, you're, you've got a, you're, you've got a dialogue with an editor while you're doing this. So I was, um, I think we, um, I was pushing for something on, um, how understatedly good Finn Russell had been. So sort of using himself to, to, to be chased out by the blitz and then just his, the accuracy of his kicking and sort of before the game, we thought, um, we thought, oh, well, he's, he's shit or bust Finn Russell, isn't he? But actually... <laughs> No, he was just totally yeah. calm. Um, anyway, I pitched that and didn't and got shouted down. Didn't they didn't want that? <laughs> so it was. It ended, up, it ended up being a piece on sort of the changes uh, England can make. And I said, well, you know, can we can can the performances of the guys off the bench, George Martin, Faye or Boso, can that be used as a mandate for Steve Borthwick to accelerate this process? And they're like, yep, yeah, that sounds good. Okay, um, I think that was eight fifty. So that so you you've sort of got between maybe seven thirty oh, wow. and. 7.30 and uh, would have been, I would have filed it at sort of 9.30. Sounds like a lot of words, but it's like, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like anything if you've done it, if you've done it a lot. Sometimes those deadlines can get very, very squeaky, but I tend to think that the, the on the whistle player ratings is, is my grimmest job, especially, especially yeah. when, especially <laughs> it's, when a lot of it's a lot of effort for not a lot of reward. You're never going to no, get to fair, fair play. You know, you got all, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's a lot. On the side, yeah. just for someone to go, what more has Russell got to do to get a nine? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And Charlie, what I love about what I love about the French ratings, L'Equipe especially, is how low they are. Even in yeah. a win, the French players get yeah. a four or a five. Seven. <laughs> and the way people talk about L'Equipe ratings is though they've watched it five times before they do them as well. It's like they're they're doing the same thing, guys. Yeah, like yeah, they're, yeah. They're, on they're, yeah. The worst is, I, I mean, and I think. 
I hope that um, I've progressed since doing this. I wouldn't do this again, but I wouldn't rule it out. I remember being, I won't say what game it was because it's just, it's just so village on my part, but I was watching a game sort of, and you're getting to sort of 10 minutes there and you're going around going, I honestly ha- can't remember a single thing this guy has done. I've definitely heard those discussions in the press box. Can anyone yeah. tell me what? Ollie Chesham did. Yeah. 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 So, Charlie, do you do you have an idea in place when you are kind of I don't know twenty thirty minutes in, and does it inform you as you're doing what I call your articles with pictures, where you're having the actual breaks and diagrams? And what I like about yours, by the way, is that they're not cherry picked. They seem to fit into a larger theme, and you're I think honest about it, and you make sure they fit. So, do you get that working and watch for key areas, or do you kind of just go in virginally and just say? impress me um i when you do go it's very rare that you go in with something and it comes off i would say um <laughs> right <laughs> because i mean yeah i mean even yeah even as i said earlier going into the to saturday thinking well we'll learn something about england you're like i don't i'm not sure we really did learn loads so mm. um it, it you you want something to it was nice what <laughs> would say I was kind of like punching the air or thing, but when, when Sione to Plotu fed Jones through and, and Scotland just found a way to break England's blitz, it was nice. <laughs> nice. It was, it was kind of, uh, it was, it was, it was, yeah, maybe nice for me because the context of the week had been so sort of, um, yeah, built up towards yeah. that. And you had yeah. Kevin Sinfield saying, we've done our homework. You had guys, so we've had, we'd, we'd flagged that they might have looked at that, um, Scotland performance, sorry, South Africa performance against Scotland in Marseille. And then on the Friday, Finn Russell said, well, we've looked at it as well. So you're going, <laughs> right. right. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's something you can get into. Um, and then there, there you do, you do, you are thinking about general themes. So for instance, a really obvious one would have been Scotland's dominance and whether there'd been parallels to that and maybe how they're going to show England what they haven't got. So it's, it's, it's a mix, but then if something, the stuff that does, does well inverted commas i guess gets a lot of eyes on it is big moments and and things that mm. can be really um things things that both absolute rugby tragics and people sort of sort of who are, cute, who are just um casually curious both of them can sort of look into and 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 maybe and hopefully um if not if not understand more about it look at it more look at it more um carefully because you've highlighted it one of the big things with Finn is, you know, I think in Marseille, what the box did is they left him alone and they froze him by having all of his options outside of him closed off, which put Finn in a box. You know, are you going to be a runner carrier um, or you can sort of come come at him and try to smash him and hit him one second late in a half a second late or hit him on time, um, which he seems to enjoy, actually. So you said, I think this time that he was used as bait. Finn was bait this time, right? Bait. Yeah, and they did that two years ago as well, with a different in a different way. Um, if you remember Ben White's try, they hit up in hit up in midfield through Sam Johnson and, and um, Finn Russell came around the corner, and actually they went back. Um, mm. It was Hog Hog hit the line and fed Darcy Graham. So they've done that. They just keep doing it. They just keep getting away with it. But it's just just really clever <laughs> coaching, isn't it? And it's almost yeah. And I what I what you'll never get on the record, I guess, about coaches, or very rare, and it's awesome when you do is how much they think about the general narrative of a week because I'm convinced that that played into it and I'm convinced that because they're never going to go into a lot of detail about I guess that it's seen as sort of disrespectful to mm. other teams what you'll hear is 
what you'll hear is, oh yeah, we're we're just concentrating on ourselves. That I just don't don't I don't believe you. I don't believe that. We're no, no, no. Are you trying to tell us you spent no time looking at the opposition? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the, in the uh, NBA, they, they talk a lot about I'll make someone else beat me. You know, like I won't let LeBron <laughs> beat me. I'll just make sure I have triple coverage, and then someone's going to make a shot. So yeah. for me, Scotland seems fine with that. You take away this, someone else is going to step up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Blake, Blair Kinghorn, Blair Kinghorn had a Kinghorn was of, good. Yeah, uh, um, but how how big a boost is that, right? You've got a big strapping athlete who can also step up at first receiver, and and if you leave him alone, you're absolutely screwed. So that's that's kind of a, yeah. No, that was that was what Russell's Russell's press conference before the game was was awesome in a different way, and, and actually in a, in a slightly understated way as well because. He got asked that. He said, "Yeah, you know, I've got total confidence in other playmakers around me. Blair Kinghorn's coming back for us. That's massive." And then somebody said, "Are you surprised that they picked Furbank?" And he went, "Yeah, like, that's that really surprised me. Yeah, and um, because, <laughs> because if they go with, but, but he said that Furbank's a brilliant player. They'll, 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 it's obvious that they're going to try and play a bit more, and, and and they did, and it didn't, and it didn't work. But just yeah. he's he's just very." Yeah, take take it. It's just really cool when players are take it. You see, and that that informs that helps you. That's great for a load of reasons because you see a bit more personality, and also just it's it's really good to be more informed going into a game. Mm. When, so when, you, more... when you touch on when you, when you touch on something like um, the the post match analysis that you did do, where you picked apart, you know, well, this is why Scotland was so effective, and this is why they pulled their midfield apart. Nods. When you start something like that, how often do you find you ended it in maybe a different place to where you'd started or where you had intended to edit do you do you just do you just get sort of swept through the the narrative as you're writing it or have you always got a an end point in mind um yeah you're you're in in the in the say i mean don't want to sound like i'm kind of painting really intricate portraits here but when you're in the process <laughs> of it um i guess i guess you you can get pulled yeah you can get pulled different ways because you're noticing more and more and more different things and that's why yes it's such, well, a, the question. it's such a great sport to um to cover right ultimate ultimate yeah. team sport it's it's a sport about ripple effects and whereby yeah as we we're talking about jamie ritchie jamie ritchie uh probably idiots like me can't, i can't remember what i gave him i think it was seven because i was hedging my bets but um <laughs> but um he, he will he will, have had, <laughs> he will have had he would have had a huge influence on tiny things that make the bigger moments that yeah. say for instance he's he's slowed down he's slowed down a ruck and being coached away from it by a ref um and then england's shapes all over the place and then his mate gets a jackal turnover but it's it's richie that and maybe even knows himself it's just it's that it's that tiny self-satisfaction that he's getting but you'd hope that his coaches will also remember. but to answer your question yeah absolutely it, it changes but you want I guess you'd want to watch it at least twice to have a um, overarching theme, and then maybe yes. you can go a little bit, a little bit elsewhere with a theme. So, for instance, I don't think uh, whether we've come onto this yet. Um, I can't remember whether it was being recorded or not, but uh, <laughs> of doing a sort of being asked to do a um, piece on England's options at number eight, and just how Ben Earl is kind of, you know, he's he's almost taking it upon himself to put on a bit more weight and be a number eight and i'm not sure he is and it's interesting yeah. to see how where where england keep him like that and maybe ask him to be what he isn't quite or they go right we need more carrying at six we need more carrying at five um to help him out um so yeah it's kind of 
you you want to be you want to be as sure as you can and you want to have have enough evidence you can before you start writing but i think yeah i certainly wouldn't be i'd be lying if i said that you're getting into things and you and that's why to be, to be honest mate that's why they end up so long those articles covering your own ass be, be thankful you, for online editions where have we have no such problems. Yeah. <laughs> you have you you have written quite a bit about the food intake of players. I mean, you were covering Danny Kerr's burgers and fries. Yes. And then I think right. earlier in the season you had really done a good job on uncovering why the Saints were at the top of the table and they'd all gained a collective three or four kgs each. Yeah. Um so uh, is that is, is that you talking to the players or are you talking to nutritionists or how did you unearth all this uh, dietary <laughs> exclusivity? <laughs> That was what well, Danny uh, gave a press conference last week where he he was sort of getting not peppered. He's getting quizzed on sort of how's he got to how's he got to 37 years old and, and 99 caps. Uh, is it diet? And he was going, it is not diet. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, renowned, I'm renowned for having. And, and actually, I was giggling away while he was saying this because I remember a podcast where he was he got asked about his pre-match meal and you were going surely it's like chicken and rice and boring and why why are they even asked that question he's going sort of guiltily said yes cocoa pops actually <laughs> um, so, when, so when that was just that was just really just really cool i actually asked him off after the that presser finished i said are you is any does anybody get annoyed at you because their metabolism isn't as good like are you getting props <laughs> yeah. going i don't don't eat that near me or whatever so no that was that was i guess danny volunteered that or somebody else kind of started the line of questioning the northampton thing um i just found interesting because it was a it was an extended pre-season for premiership clubs and they've just looked tougher they've just looked tougher in contact across the board um and a couple of their young backs coming through had volunteered that they put on a bit of weight um and you hear that a lot. Um, Tommy Tommy Freeman's a great example, right? Because he was he wasn't picked up by Leicester initially because he was too small, had a growth spurt, so he was quite gangly, um, and then put on, and then he's kind of gradually had to put on size. But it was really interesting. So the the kind of key interview for the Saints piece spoke to the uh, spoke to George Furbank for it. Spoke to Phil Dowson, who's their DOR, who said who who sort of explained why they wanted to do it, the why of it, and then the how of it was Tommy Bullock, who's their um, who's their head of conditioning or head of athletic performance. And he said that it was, you know, he, he gave the detail of whatever it was, 10, eight, eight to 10 lifting sessions a week and capped running uh, fewer skills sessions when they'd be a club that would uh, pride themselves on moving the ball and, and having that high skill yeah, base. Right. Um, it just, yeah, eight, eight, eight lifting sessions. And that was, that was, really interesting and you get you get nervous when you get that feedback from um some sort of snc professionals going that is a lot like are they yeah. they were had, a they had the long preseason, and b they were always wary of the soft tissue injuries that could occur um and also and the third thing was that they were they were um wary of the running that they would have eventually have have to eventually do because they're a sort of um they they don't play unlike scotland ironically they kick a fair mm. bit but um when they when they they're quite um, elaborate and intricate with the phase play that they do get. Hmm. Yeah, right. It's fascinating. It's 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 fascinating, and this is exactly the sort of thing we were hoping to get from you, Charlie. Thanks. Like we could keep firing questions at you for another hour comfortably, but I'm sure you've got things to do on a Monday morning in London. I'm sure Harry's got things to do on a Monday morning at St Andrews. Um, <laughs> thanks. So, thanks so much for for giving us some time for for a chat. It's been thoroughly engrossing to hear 
not just your insights in what you, what you saw in a game, but how you operate and, and, and how you, as writers ourselves, that was probably the one bit we wanted to come out of this tonight, wasn't it, Harry? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see how someone builds it. Uh, and Charlie, and I know you have a podcast to do with another guy named Charles, um, so we'll, we'll let you go. But uh, yeah, great, great, uh, brilliant chat, and hopefully you can come back soon. Oh, no, that, really humbling to be on, given the guests you've had, and um, good luck with this, because it's a lot of fun. <laughs> This is the 8-9 Combo Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. This is Harry Jones. And, mate, that was a great chat with one of the very best rugby riders going. To have, yeah, he's to have a- Charlie Morgan on the pod. That was just fantastic. Honest guy, writes with a scalpel, but uh, it was also good fun to have him here and just, you know, kind of let the guard down and, and have a good yeah. chat. I like that he's yeah. descended from four of the Six Nations too. So he, he really has a has a heart <laughs> in every one of them. <laughs> I, as soon as he said that, I just had visions of him turning up to a rugby game with just one of those old school Harlequin jerseys, yeah, red, <laughs> yeah. red, blue, white, green, everything. So yeah, no, fantastic to have Charlie in. Yeah, and you can find uh, him on the social medias at uh, Charlie Felix on Twitter, and you'll certainly find his work uh, at the Telegraph every every day, pretty much. Um, one little change we have made uh, this year is we dedicate a little chunk of time after our guests to have a bit of a meander, a bit of a chat through the various competitions around the world, touching on the major talking points as we go through them. And we're very much in Six Nations mode now, mate. And and, and I think there's a point to be made about France, and they're just sort of still middling their way through. Would that be fair to say? The coach has no clothes. Uh, I don't think that yeah. the the players are really loving playing for him. They're a little bit flaccid. Um, they uh, I think they seem bitter at times, yeah. but they're not really they're not really playing to their. I'm not sure they're fit. Um, I don't know. There's just something going on there that's really not right. I do think that there's not a team out there that's fallen as far as quickly from say October of last year to where it is in France. And so there's a yes. lot of talk in uh, in France about. Um, Sean Edwards, uh, Fabien Galtier. Well, that's where I was going to yeah. say this. All this yeah. sort of thing in France really only ends one way, doesn't it? Yeah, and and it's not going to be the players. I mean, the play, you look at the no. place, the the, te- the team sheet. There's plenty of talent there. No, no, and there's plenty of other coaches available too. So, um, yeah, I wonder if uh, Fabian might get the tap on the shoulder sometime soon this year. We'll see. We'll see. The Wales turnaround was short lived. <laughs> I mean, they were really <laughs> yeah. good round one, but they just looked a bit ordinary losing 31-7 to Ireland, didn't they? I mean, it's, there's no shame in losing 31-7 to Ireland no, when you have no, uh, that no, few caps true. on the field. In it's interesting, Dublin. at uh, Murrayfield, outside Murrayfield, before the game, they have uh, sort of a big screen. It's a median screen, actually, outside. And there was a whole field, I don't know, six, 7,000 people watching that match. Uh, and you know, and for a time it looked like it might have been a little bit close, but mm. Ireland has depth plenty, uh, they can just mm. keep running people at you now. So, I it's interesting because uh, Warren Gatlin's returns are very poor, but he's in no danger. And I would say no. that he all he almost is walking away from this from these three losses, um, feeling fine. So, <laughs> and, and and probably think and probably thinking, I told you it was gonna be hard. Like yeah, he's in he's in he's in Division Two, Wales, Italy, and France. Uh, and if he can yes. nip it, Italy, then he's fine. Yeah, 
Yeah, he'll be fine. Um, round four is played the weekend of March 9 and 10. The table, as it currently stands, has Ireland on top by a long way on, what are they on, 15 points. Uh, Scotland second on nine, England eight, France six, Wales three, Italy three as well. Um, and, yeah, we'll see how that all uh, how that all plays out. Super Rugby Pacific kicked off uh, on the weekend, just gone. Um, I mean, as far <laughs> as season opening games go, Chiefs Crusaders and Hamilton was just a, a ripping <laughs> contest, wasn't it? Ah, that's so good. Don't kick to Damien McKenzie in space. And uh, Sean Stevenson just looks like otherworldly sometimes. Yeah, Sean Maloney has always said, and I've often heard him say it in commentary, Whatever you do on a Friday night, do not miss the five thirty New Zealand game, and that was the case. Mm. Like Chiefs mm. Crusaders was just an absolute ripper. The Hurricanes played the late game in, uh, in in Perth, and they I must I must admit they were a lot better than I expected. I thought they might have come back to the pack a little bit, but they, I mean, it's a surprise packet. Well, maybe they're very balanced. I would say that yeah. a lot of power, yeah. a lot of speed. But it's hard to know how good the Force were. The Force had a lot of uh, signings, but they oh, they did not look that good. No, no, the Force were disappointing. I honestly thought they would be a lot. They would give a much better account in that contest. But then I can't toss up now whether the Force or the Waratahs were actually more disappointing because I expected more of both teams. So it's a bit of a a bit of a toss up there. I think the Brumbies and the Reds very clearly remain the Australian standard. Um, and yeah, the Brumbies. The Brumbies just look like the Brumbies that always look yeah. like, which is a well-coached team with uh, a clear work on. I mean, we chatted with Laurie Fisher on uh, on Twitter, and, and he was you know talking about missed tackles and such. But that's correctable. I mean, they were arriving at ruck on time. They were switching the ball well. They played in the right territories. Yeah, the Brumbies remain yeah. the class standard. Yeah, yeah. The, the ladder. The ladder looks funny. There's five teams with bonus point wins, and then the Chiefs just the normal garden variety win are in sixth on they look they look scary they do they do five five points on on zero as well um the super round is in melbourne uh this weekend coming and um i mean one of these years super rugby pacific is going to do the super round really really well but i fear that it won't be this weekend unfortunately highlanders blues kicks things off on um Friday night, Rebels Force is the second game, and then Saturday we see Moana Pacifica and the Fijian Indra, which could be a ripping contest. Like that could be, could be fifteen twelve, or it could be forty five yeah. forty three. It could, could be anything that game. Uh, Crusaders Waratahs is Saturday night, and then on Sundays Chiefs Brumbies Hurricanes Reds. Um, you wouldn't want to I'm be just... having to scramble to make a flight on Sunday afternoon. That's two really good. Games. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really happy Super Rugby is back. I love the the contrast between uh, some of these matches and uh, yeah. and long may it continue. Yeah, there, there definitely is contrast. There's no doubt about that. Uh, League One in Japan, the Mitsubishi Dinobores, Matt Toomua's team, have joined the mid-table pack of five or six teams after a 53-45 win over the Shizuoka Blue Revs. They're the team formerly known as Yamaha. Um, next weekend, they play the Kubota Spears, which I'm pretty sure is Bernard Foley's team. And the Kibelko Kobe Steelers play Toyota for Blitz, which means that now those mid-table pack teams are playing each other. So they're going to start taking points off each other, which is interesting. Um, in France, Racing 92 went down to start front, say, 27-12 in Paris. Cast thumped Bordeaux 41-12. That was third against 
fourth. And then ninth place, La Rochelle went down to 12th place, Permignon, 27-15. La Rochelle now are 15 points behind start on top of the table. And La Rochelle is just playing in the European competitions now. They just feels I think like it, doesn't it? Given up on top fourteen. Yeah, they certainly it certainly feels like that. Um, the the reigning the reigning they won the double last year, didn't they? So yeah, we yeah, see how they go. The URC the Irk uh, is back this weekend. Coming as we mentioned last weekend, there's only one win separating Benetton in fourth and Connaught in tenth, which is crazy talk. Uh, Jake White Jake... tries to finally beat the Stormers at the Loftus Abattoir, the bogey he's team. A, he's not had a good record against the Stormers, has he? In the Irk, never. They no. never won. The Bulls are never won. No, that's well. I'm not sure he had a great record against the Stormers, even in Super Rugby, with whichever team he was in charge of at the time. Too quick, too smart, too handsome. <laughs> don't forget too humble <laughs> it's not a word that's associated with me sorry yeah no no nor, nor the western cape in general <laughs> this is the eight nine combo Um, some news in the last seven days, mate. Uh, Courtney Laws will end his long association with the Northampton Saints, uh, making a big money move to Breve in the Pro Deteur for a rather 24-25 season. The former England forward retired from international rugby after the uh, semi-final defeat in the World Cup. Um, he's played for Northampton for 17 years, which is incredible. And he said himself, it's going to be weird not running out in a, in a Saints jersey. But... Um, Bit hard to knock down a reported deal of three hundred and sixty thousand pounds a year to play Division Two in France. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. He's earned uh, he's earned superannuation, no question about that. Um, Australian captain Charlotte Kaslick became the first woman to appear in fifty HSBC Sevens tournaments um, in Vancouver over the weekend. She was obviously part of that gold medal winning Australian side at Rio in. 2016, made a debut at the end of the circuit's inaugural season in 2013. She's very much one of the faces of uh, the International Sevens. She's only missed six tournaments in 11 seasons since then, which is quite incredible. Um, but the Australian women lost the semi-final to France. Um, a surprise loss there. Um, and then France went down to New Zealand in the women's final in Vancouver. In the men's final, Argentina are just the form team of mm. the seventh circuit at the moment so they've won their that's their third winning four cup finals they beat new zealand 36 7 36 12 big pardon uh, on sunday they lost the final in dubai to south africa in the first leg and then they won three on the trot so they won in cape town one in perth and this was the first time this is now they are now the first uh, first team to win three straight times in Vancouver. It's never, never been done before. So, um, yeah, that's that's an incredible effort. Michael Hooper is in Vancouver with the Australian, was in Vancouver with the Australian team, and he's very much on track to play at LA this weekend, which gives him his, his first taste of sevens rugby. Um, Anton Dupont, the other star, if you like, switching numbers. Hey, you're not switching codes. What do you call that? Downgrading? I don't know. He uh, scored his first sevens try. With Practice drills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, incredible try. He scored against Australia, funnily enough. Um, come off the bench for the first two games and then started on day two against Australia and then just decided to carve them up, which is, you know, bloody fantastic, isn't it? Uh, 
potential <laughs> All Blacks captain Scott Barrett has called these revolutionary new smart mouthguard concussion technology uh, a step too far, which is interesting. See whether it comes comes back from that. It's about the way Anton Leonard Brown and Quentin Strange were both a bit surprised to be taken off for for HIA. But there's there's maybe a, 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 a there's maybe an answer to this. Jamie Wall wrote on Sunday that it looks like it might have been a bit of a dodgy Bluetooth connection. Might have taken too long to delay. The data was right, but there was too long a delay in getting the data to the pitch side doctors, and that's why it took them, you know, two, three, four minutes to, to drag the players off. So, yeah, we'll see what more comes of that. Well, the same thing happened in the Calcutta Cup. Uh, Xander Ferguson was sent off uh, for the mouth guard thing. I think yeah. there's a certain religiosity almost going on here where if you question anything that is um, brought in to make players safer, then you're put in some kind of hot seat of like, you don't care. But in fact, it's really important to players, and I think it fans is. as well, but to the players not to be dragged off for something that is mystifying. So. Yeah, and if, it, if it's a smart mouth guard, it needs to actually be smart. If it's a yeah. dumb mouth guard, then it's no good. So we might be in between right now. It's it's a average intelligence mouth guard, and we need to <laughs> do a little bit better. Yeah. yeah, it's very stable genius mouth guard. Um, <laughs> Anton Leonard Brown was walking off saying, I didn't even get hit on the head. And because he got taken off with about three minutes to go, he never had a chance to pass his HIA and go back on. It's it's not a good look. And I mean, look, look you could be whiplash uh, without being hit on the head. But um, I do think there's things to work out. And let's not be too guinea pig on this. No, no, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, there was some good news for the Waratahs um, over the weekend. That was that uh, Lalakai Fichetti was out of hospital and at home watching the game um, on Saturday night. He was hospitalized last Thursday after hurting his neck at training. And there was worries that uh, he initially might have had some major uh, spinal damage, but that was all very much cleared. Uh, looks like he suffered some ligament damage to the back of his neck, and the Tars are even saying he could actually be back training, like in a very much light duties way in a neck brace, maybe even mm. this week coming. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, away from the news, mate. A little bit of news on my front. I didn't. It didn't quite happen in time for me to mention it last week in episode two, but uh, I have now kicked off writing a weekly Australian column for Rugby Pass, which I'm. Uh, very excited about that'll be up Tuesdays, Wednesdays, whenever it goes. We haven't quite worked it out yet, but um, that's very, very cool. And it's my thanks to uh, Owen Jones, friend of the pod, who said, um, "Hey, do you want to uh, come and do this for me?" So, uh, very much excited for that uh, and for that. Excellent, excellent, man. I'm proud of you, and uh, I know that's a it's a probably a a technical gig. You have to get everything just right, the font, the spacing. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you'll nail it. Uh, your first article was a cracker too. Everyone get on there oh, and read it. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but, mate, I think that is us done for another episode of the 8-9 Combo. Give me your rating for episode three, please. Uh, 8.5, but if I listen to it two more times, like Charlie Morgan, maybe I'll go up to a 9. Oh, what's he got to do to get a nine point five? <laughs> hey, are we doing? Are we doing? I uh, know he he was a ten, but you know, yeah, us. Was um, we got. But uh, are we doing followers of the week or no? Uh, we will in just a second. Oh. We will. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. After we say thanks to all of you out there in the rugby rugby pod world who have found us. Um, if you are new to our work, then welcome. And if you know us from the last few years, then we say thank you for following us over here uh, and speaking of following um the pod is on all the socials at eight nine combo on twitter on insta on youtube where you can find video versions of the podcast every week 
except last week where we had some audio issues and so that's not there um and now on tiktok as well there's some funny things happening over there that i don't fully understand but <laughs> you're in charge of so and good rate you. us rate us and yes, if you've rated us yes. before rate us again because we we, need all of that. we were on a different platform before and we had ratings we had, didn't follow over so we are starting we dozens and dozens a hundred oh, ratings hundreds, so come and hundreds. rate us again yeah they are starting to follow in flow in on spotify and uh and, and apple i can see so wherever you are Give us a follow, a like, a subscribe, um, interact with the podcast uh, directly, but also, importantly, rate and share. And, yes, do rating if you can. Um, and if you are listening on Spotify, be sure to tell us and everyone who finds the episode after you what you thought. There's a Q&A built into the episode um, in the Spotify player. So it's been great to hear what people have thought already. So if you're uh, listening to us on Spotify, make sure you do that. Followers of the week. Each week we are going to pick our favourite new followers Amongst our upwards of three hundred Twitter followers now, which has been great. So make sure you smash the follow button. Who's who have you picked this week? The generous and wise Graham Peacock, whose name Ooh. probably sounds to you rather Scottish. He's actually a South African guy, yes. and he is he has a habit of uh, giving really incredible and hard to get tickets to to worthy people. So oh, that's um, cool. this week he he really made someone very happy. And so Graham, you're a good man. Thanks for following us. No, that's great. That's great. I'm going to single out um, New Zealand broadcaster and friend of the pod, Martin Devlin, who uh, <laughs> I had a chat through on his show last week, and we'll get him back on the pod at some point because he's um, he's too good too good a man not to. But um, but that's cool. If you don't, make sure you follow us if you haven't already, and uh, you never know, you might get a mention. You might get a mention next week. Um, chart wise, we mentioned this last week. Straight, very much back in at our level. We were into the top five in Australia um, for a few days this week. We debuted at number one. In Singapore, at number three in Japan, at number four in Canada. We've been top 10 in the US and South Africa in this last week, the top 20 in the UK and New Zealand. Um, and we're into the, we're really excited about this. We're into the top 20 on the Australian sport podcast charts on Spotify and into the top 200 Australian all podcast charts over the weekend, which is hugely, hugely exciting for us. So if you are, are listening to us on Spotify again, make sure you give us a real solid rating because that's all helping us. Um, Harry and I remain in the social on the socials in our usual places at Harry Baldy Jones and at BMC Sport. Again, please do like, follow, subscribe on your pod platform of choice and on YouTube as well. And make sure you get every new episode as soon as it drops. This is the 8-9 combo, the short side set piece combination you didn't realize you needed coming from the podcast double act you already had uh, i'm brett mckay he's harry jones we're back in your ears next week come play with us